Good afternoon, everyone. A little bit of a frantic rush there. I'm a couple of minutes late of getting off a Zoom meeting. You know what it's like. Hope you can hear me okay. Can never tell. Uh, as ever, has saved my paranoia. Drop us an emoji, a hello, a yes, I can hear you. Criticise the hair. That's usually a favourite. Fan to the accent, another favourite. Um, so, yeah, another week. What a, what a week we had last week on Chewing It Over. Those of you that tune in on a regular, um, I just, you know, it was a, a really fun one. A few guests on, who's always brilliant. And then the Friday, obviously things got fiery and started talking about private practice and NHS stuff, which was fun. Jem, uh, thanks a lot. She said I'm tardy. It doesn't mean she's giving me any clues as to whether she can hear. I think she'd be telling me if I was uh, if she could if I couldn't hear. But anyway, that's great. Thank you, Jem, and uh, thank you. I'm going to I'm going to quote you later, Jem Oliver. Little Miss Support Network. That's as I call her. Now this this is a a big deal for me. Um, Sean O'Neill tuning in on uh, on LinkedIn, which makes me nervous. Old boss from a, pre a former life, and he said the hair's nice, which I can only judge, as you can hopefully see from his picture, a man who knows good hair. And so, uh, and so yeah, thanks, Sean. I'm glad you're tuning in. Um, so today, uh, what we're going to be chewing over is a little bit of a reflection on what happened last week. Uh, certainly, that was a bit of a spicy, spicy week. And then the next, uh, and then it's going to be a bit of a COVID update, especially with regards to all things that have been happening and how it's influencing private practice. There's been some challenges that come from the test and trace systems and whether or not you need a QR code. I think it's about as, as interesting as when the should or we shouldn't we be wearing visors type things like that. So. I've also seen a number of people wearing masks on Zoom meetings, and I don't mean in communal areas. I mean that they're just uh, people losing their mind a little bit and forgetting what PPE is for. So uh, I thought we might as well talk it through and try and calm each other's nerves a little bit, which would be useful. Um, but yeah, one of the things that I want to throw out to you uh, in case you haven't spotted it, in case people don't know what I'm on about, is that last week, towards the end of the week, uh, there was a, a really interesting thread, 200 plus comments on the on the Facebook and and uh, and also sort of spilled over a little bit into Twitter, Instagram, is this uh, this notion of what is or isn't uh, what is or isn't relevant in the differences and and relevant distinctions in private practice and and NHS care and what the motivating factors are when when things are different, how relevant the stereotypes are. Um, do they do they play and are they, are they is there something to it or is that painting with too broad a brush all sorts of stuff like that so for those of you that are tuning in now that maybe didn't get a chance to weigh in end of last week uh, I'd love to know your thoughts as to whether or not you feel um, feel any of that is is of, of relevance whether it needs to just sort of die itself out or or whether or not you think uh, we need to sort of discuss that a bit further tomorrow we've got Adam Meekins coming on the show he's going to be discussing a bit of a rant that he had that took off. Uh, you know what he's like and he likes his rants and so he put one up um, over the weekend about marketing which I thought was interesting we can talk it through uh, see what we agree or disagree on and, and sort of chew over this notion that he was frustrated over some of the marketing that he's clearly coming across maybe some paid advertising that's turning up on his feed so he was railing against it and there was a massive amount of support for his position on it but also people wanting to offer some distinctions as to what might be relevant and it'd be interesting just to sort of hear out Adam's take on that so he's going to be joining me tomorrow at 12 30 usual time um but in the meantime yeah what's your what's your thoughts on on the all things private practice versus nhs and unfortunately it did become a bit of a versus and uh, what i wanted to sort of start the show on today in case these other comments come up then we'll, we'll definitely uh, take your lead on that but 
what I wanted to sort of think about is something we didn't get really chance to really flesh out at the end of last broadcast on Friday was that it is my take that, that in an ideal world, what would be optimal for all of our patients and for society at large is better collaboration across sectors. But as has been proven sometimes by the commentary when something like this gets raised is that it feels like we're actually a bit of a way from doing that. And it certainly doesn't seem like there's the political will or the, the policy makers in, in the health quangos and the people that might make that work. I don't know if they have the knowledge uh, or the acumen to probably make that make that happen but as it, as it as it goes the facility in msk for the private sector to help with some of the challenging burdens that, that come not just in a health sense but in just in terms of just the the traffic that's going to be flowing through those departments sensible collaboration with, with local examples of, of decent uh, decent collaboration could really help things uh, and and just the challenges are threefold there's the the actual pragmatic uh, application of whether we can converse in the same language. Some of the stuff we talked about in the last week, you know, can we see eye to eye enough to have a model that's in common that way you can, that you can trust, you know, under those cliches we talked about last week is that can NHS practitioners trust their local private practices to work under a model that makes it that they don't feel like they're just going to be bleeding all these patients for profit. And similarly, can the private practitioners, um, and trust the, uh, the their local NHS clinicians to not be sort of complacent or peddling sheets of exercises and stuff and not individualizing care. Now, as we talked about, I consider them to be stereotypes that aren't representative of the whole, but I think there are core prom problems or principles that we need to be able to iron out. And I'd say that, that that would be number one of three reasons as to why if we can't get that right, then I don't see it being able to progress towards better collaboration. The second thing would be just in a terms of infrastructure, what are the, you know, when someone is seeking, they've sprained their ankle, they've, they've injured their back, they've, they've got a persistent pain of, of some sort, let's call it OAE for the sake of it. So they, they are then seeking MSK services. What are the mechanisms for them to, to receive that care? Do they go on Google and seek out a private practitioner and recognize they might pay out of pocket or out of insurance for that? Do they go in to see their GP? Do they understand what first contact practice is or can you self-refer in your area? Whatever channels they may be. Now, if, if those channels don't then give access to whatever is optimal for that patient at that time, cross-sector, or that there aren't mechanisms for people to be able to deliver that in a, in a collaborative way, or for people to take a bit of pressure off their local MSK services by offering a certain style of care uh, and, and for whoever it might be that's signposting to know about that, that's a, that's a matter of policy. That's why I say that that's not just about better relations between individual clinics and their, and their local um, NHS departments, right? We, we all know that there's sometimes very good links there because often it's the same people. You've got people that work across sectors. You've got people that work in evenings and weekends, et cetera, in private practice. You might even have a full-time position within an NHS department locally. So I'm never concerned about the fact that there aren't the links, but it's just more as a matter of infrastructure and policy. There's a reason why that distinction is there. There's some blurring of the lines that should occur. And I think one of the obvious examples is some of the more established sort of what are private practices, um, not private infrastructure, such as, say, Nuffield, which technically operates as a charity, but it's, it's more cl classically known within the private sector. If you imagine that some of the Nuffield MSK network services, be that practices that are associated through Fusion or be that through their employed physios, maybe 
being able to offer some MSK help and, and care, particularly something low-hanging fruit like uh, virtual stuff, you imagine that they were able through Nuffield to be able to start offering a way in which the NHS could take its ease its pressure in, in our, our, our side of the industry. That would be an obvious way in. And then once that precedent was set, that would almost be that independent private practices could find ways in which you could do it. But the first point I said about better relations, better communication, there is still an infrastructure piece um that, that needs to be done with regards to policy which is the second thing and i would say that then the, the third thing is this notion of what appropriate payment looks like across sectors right the hourly rate in which someone is typically paid under the same competence level for a, a day's work an hour's work etc uh, across sectors varies widely you know the three classics being say private practice nhs care and then sport as many others occupational health etc but let's just use those examples is that and there's reasons for that variance so the cash value on my time over an hour is going to be different depending on what you know the contract the, the, the guaranteed work the the whether or not you paid for whether a patient turns up or not the um amount of holidays you get the other work protections that people might have when they consider the package that is their salary and their contract and so let's not pretend that given the right relations and, and let's say you've got sensible rehab centric practitioners that are going to be working through a scaled functional model that doesn't matter whether it's coming into a private practice or going into the nhs department locally you got that bit right you've got the infrastructure whereby they can be signposted appropriately so you've got these policies that can then help the NHS by private practices working together collaboratively, right? You've got those two things in. Now, the third thing is still relevant is to what is then paid for, how is that then properly remunerated for the clinician that's doing the doing or the service that's helping to do that, right? So if you've got independent private practices or whatever it might be that are then offering that support, let's not pretend that you've then got to work out what's an appropriate remuneration for that. Now, you've got private practices that also take on NHS contracts. But most of them will tell you that you've got, say, a, a cash payer, you've got an insurance payer, and then sometimes those levels. But let's just say a cash payer, and then you've got an NHS patient. What the NHS pays for that patient to come in, let's say it's 30-minute assessment or appointment, whatever it might be, and there's a certain amount that you charge a customer and a patient, and then there's a certain amount that the NHS would pay for that patient to be seen under what would be tax-funded. And there's often a, a, a difference there, but the practice is happy to do that because they're guaranteed a certain amount of patients. So, sod it, I'll take 25 quid that the NHS have remunerate, but that same, if that patient was to come in and pay cash, then you're in a situation where they may well be uh, paying 40 quid, right? And, and, and that's, that's what the practice has decided to do. But when, when we sort of think, think about better collaboration or better cross-sector cross working in its level where we're talking about true integrated success, that actually may well be something that that uh, people want to overlook is that you know or they don't get around to having that conversation early enough so it, it's going to break down it's complex and it's quite it's quite a challenge to to truly integrate like we're describing one of the simpler ways i would say is to is to just at the, at the very at the very least better cooperate um and and to get that first bit as as, as well as we can which is to co-treat more appropriately you know um and and so sometimes people have uh, have really strong views on uh, on sort of co-treating um i think what what i would what i would admit is um that can be a challenge in itself but i would say that better better communication between between the uh local practices and their msk departments would also involve them being more amenable to picking up the phone to, to discussing a case 
and to not be as protective over the fact that it might be a patient that's been seen privately who then wants to go and see, you know, they've gone up the waiting list or my the local practices started, local services started to see patients face to face again. So I'm, I'm, I'm preferring to go back there. Private practitioner taking the time to smooth that transition when they might otherwise have, you know, might otherwise have either not been invited to or um, wouldn't choose to. And similarly, there may well be that the service that's being delivered by that NHS service at the moment is something that the patient is keen to go and see for, for waiting list reasons or for uh, the fact that they the private practice might be more available for face-to-face -face appointments and they meet a threshold for something when they, they don't want to be seen virtually or vice versa. That might mean that that transition of care the way to stop us being so tribal is to appropriately communicate that where possible. Finding the time, sometimes that time cost or actual cost to the clinician, in the best interest of the patient, just try and make that as smooth as possible. Write a bit of a summary report, send an email, ideally grab the bit of time on the phone, even if it's five minutes. Just try to make sure that that, that goes on, I think is the low-hanging fruit here. And, and that at the moment the state of flux that can occur because that happens all across time in peacetime right but at the moment that's going to be happening probably i would argue a little more where you've got people that are naturally moving between sides or sectors within the industry sectors appropriate um and so just bear that in mind please and um and i would say just it's in the best interest of the patient for us to be more patient with each other, to be more understanding of these things happening, for us to afford a bit more time. I mean, everyone's pressured and challenged in some of the stuff we're going to talk about in a little bit about COVID. But, you know, I just think that that's the sort of thing where we need to uh, we need to be giving you some uh, giving giving each other a bit more space, a bit more understanding. So thank you. Uh, thank you for, for those of you that have got in touch with me over the weekend. Uh, hard to get through all the messages, but off the back of Friday saying that there's a lot of agreement and they were just interested in sort of a take on how to best collaborate. That's sort of my go-to things. You know, there, there's me three interested in your thoughts. Um, sometimes it's all well and good. I was talking about collaborating and stuff, but you know, sometimes it's the, it's the action. It's the actual doing that's sometimes complicated. So I'd be really interested in what we, what we might be able to think about. So let's have a little look at some of your comments before we get onto some COVID bits. Great points here, of course, from Gemma saying we need to be better at listening and collaborating together. That's sort of uh, what we're speaking to here is that we've got to, no matter how, we've got to find a way. Um, it's really interesting when, as Gemma's saying here, we want the same thing. It just has to improve as a whole and we need to stop the divide or we're not going to move. Oh, it's blocked there. Not going to move forwards. And then a lovely emoji. Sorry, I couldn't see that. Um, so, yeah, of course. And I think never 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 underestimate the fact that in, in this discussion there are forces that you've got some forces within the public sector that would for ideological reasons wish to abolish um healthcare business and then you've got other forces within private practice that are so ideologically opposed to the styles of care or whatever it might be or, the, or what they consider to be a stereotype that represents the whole that they would have um that, that they would be keen to for their local nhs msk department to go under or for them to celebrate the pains that might be occurring in that side of it and so don't underestimate you've got some people that are that are uh, and not uh, not got the the best interests at heart of all of these things. So I do think that's certainly uh, certainly a concern that I sometimes have. Um, let's a great point here from Matt Scarsbrook. Let me pull it up on screen, although it won't show all of it. Let me read this out to you because this is certainly an interesting point. Is there scope 
to take these ideas and concepts beyond just private practice physiotherapy, build better working relationships between the NHS and all MSK private practice therapists. And then brackets, his caveat being that they fall within an evidence-based framework. Um, I think that's, um, and he's mentioned, of course, there that bearing in mind, not all physios fall into that description, of course. Um, really good point. Let me take that as a question because it's a really good point. I think there should be scope. I think challenge of time and also my experiences within I think about six months ago, I was I was rallying the troops for the uh, rehab recruits campaign and trying to get any qualified, qualified and, and, and sensibly evidence informed clinician to uh, join a, reg a roster to be able to support the NHS for rehab purposes when we thought it was going to be especially drastic. And to witness the bureaucracy stifle any decent innovation, even at a time of, of rapid change. So they were able to build Nightingale hospitals, et cetera, and create the infrastructure through a, a, mass, a mass panic as well as they uh, um, create the finances to make that happen. The fact that they then weren't able to create sensible policy that then bolstered the workforce in a sensible way um, it makes me then concerned on a pragmatic level. So, you know, theoretically, I totally agree with what Matt's suggesting there is that, yes, there should be, should be scope and it would be sensible. You know, what on earth as a society we wouldn't, you know, make for optimal opportunity for sensible evidence-informed clinicians of all stripes to best serve society right now at a time of need is just fascinating tribalism, bad policy, bad politics, and 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 all sorts of problems. But the pragmatist in me watches on and thinks that how poorly I've seen many of these things be handled at various different levels of of, of, um, of policy making makes me then think that if we're not the low-hanging fruit surely is the fact that you've got these people that are qualified sometimes under the same badge, that there's a legacy treatment and an option across sectors there. Physiotherapy being just one example of that, but you could say podiatry or occupational therapy. And the fact that those sectors, even under the same stripe, uh, aren't able to collaborate means that it feels like not only the only way, but one way is to, if that was to be smoother and that collaboration was to be smoother then perhaps you could then move in and start to make a case multidisciplinary but unfortunately at the moment and i'm not saying that that's the only way but i'm just meaning that witnessing it at the moment is it feels like we're, we're not making progress in that direction for various reasons and i think some of those reasons being that um, i mentioned infrastructure as being the second of three points and the first one being we can't speak the same language sometimes and get past the stereotypes and the third point being that we don't have mature conversations about the the rates of pay and the complexity in and around that and who's going to fund it and who should be funding it and uh, and so i i would say we can't one of the reasons we can't seem to move past it and towards something sensible as is what matt's hinting at there um that makes me concerned um and so i'm not nihilistic about this stuff and i always try to keep my chin up and make suggestions as to what would be positive progress but in this instance yeah it just feels like a really silly thing that we seem to be passing by but as i said there are some low-hanging fruit on a local level and that could be demonstrated and translated is good practices for you to be able to collaborate locally and to give us good examples and then share good examples with us you know, if you're someone that feels like I've actually got a brilliant, harmonious relationship that stood the test of time or more recently, a really good relationship with locally, I'll get you on the show. You know, don't be shy. Get in touch. Let's get you on. Let's talk that through. Um, it's exactly what this is for. Um, I want to bring in Ruth Cross here, who sent a lovely comment over on, on LinkedIn, uh, making a point about including locums. Locums have so much to offer. Let me just bring this up here. 
Um, disappointingly, managers in the NHS systematically or systemically excluded locums throughout COVID-19 in preference to employing inappropriate NHS staff, in, such as paediatric physios in adult community work. This is a really lovely point. I'm really glad you brought this up, Ruth. Thank you so much for, for listening um, and contributing. Yes, the locum thing. Let's make sure I, I want to chew that over uh, and on, a, on a separate episode, if, on, if I'm honest. And Ruth, get in touch if you fancy coming on the show, because this is a this is a really interesting thing that um, I have heard about this and I've heard that there's been some really well qualified locums that could well have got involved that, that have been uh, moved aside. And, and one of the reasons was that when they were doing the big recruitment campaigns, et cetera, at the start, when they when they realized that there wasn't as much of a workplace shortage or a need as they thought, then they just doubled down on internal redeployment even though it wasn't appropriate within skill set rather than actually doing the hard yards of actually getting some sensible um more sensible policy for anyone that was looking on to get those that are most competent and qualified into that for a time to not displace such as pediatric physios etc um and the disruption that we're seeing now across the health sector is often because of this massive overhaul of internal displacement when a bit of sensible uh, short-term locum would be perfect for that. Another word for it essentially is this temp workforce would have been better suited potentially as externals for a time and uh, Ruth's speaking directly to that. I would say that's a really sensible point. I think one caveat on that is that I don't ignore the fact that there are some managers that have had their fingers burnt so many times by shit locums. And I don't want to overlook that. And having been a locum and, and, and also um, been in the process of various different places of recruiting, not directly as a manager, I was never a service manager, but I was involved in sort of the, the, you know, getting locums together and triaging locums to make sure we didn't make the same mistakes. I don't want to ignore the fact that sometimes it's bad experiences with locums and this general uh, poor diversity of practice um, that... Um, the uh, unwarranted variation that we often talk about that's kind of singed people's fingers on that uh, over time, which has made them a bit a bit somewhat uh, reluctant to integrate locums, particularly at times of, of stress. Sometimes they, feel, they perceive, rightly or wrongly, that they bring more trouble than they, than they, uh, than they could help with. So that's a concern. I think that that, uh, that issue you know, does, ha does loom large. Um, so I want to just finish with... Um, finish this this about, about covid really is that um alongside the fact that so the covid isn't causing all these things but sometimes it's adding fuel to these fires and what i think it needs to do is it needs to sort of ramp up the maturity of collaboration but one of the issues that we do continue to face is that there is sometimes confusion with regards to guidance and the goalposts do continue to move and i think that one of the most recent things is this test and trace issue that we've been facing whereby people are confused that the new app on their phone etc like what is relevant for them if they happen to have been sat next to someone or in the queue for tesco they're in close proximity to someone that then has had COVID and, and 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 the difference between that and them being in full PPE and appropriate guidance with an asymptomatic individual and and the, then uh, the difference between the circumstances of them out and about in day-to-day -day life and then working be that in the NHS or in private practice that's the thing that's confusing people so they're getting contacted sometimes by test and trace saying please self-isolate you've been in close contact and proximity 
but then they, they, they when in contact with the test and trace system they then that gets overturned because it turned out that that contact was made in a environment in which it's incredibly low likelihood for them to have then been at, at risk of exposure because PPE etc um, and and so and then there's also these question marks over the legitimacy and then accuracy of tests and stuff like that so it's, it's messy now fortunately for me um, here I am four minutes to go and instead of getting stuck completely into that I think what uh, what is fortunate is I can simply I hope this isn't the deflection but I can simply point you in the direction of time to talk on the physio and therapist support group on Facebook. So if you're watching this on LinkedIn, on Instagram, and wherever we go, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook group, physio and therapist support group, time to talk. Gemma does a live stream now, Wednesdays at one o'clock. It's going to be test and trace. It's going to be talking about QR codes. It's going to go through that in much more detail than I can now. And we'll clear that up for you. If you can't wait till then, go to the group. And there's been some great posts on there recently. I won't go through all of it, but please do understand the differences and and and, and try to pause before you panic. And it's easier said than done, granted, but there is a relevant difference between our professional behaviors and lives and our personal behaviors and lives at the moment in, in various ways. And so please bear that in mind when say your phone goes off on a test and trace. And is, it, is, it, is that you as a citizen encountering that? or may, And how will that influence practice? And don't then be naturally alarmist. Sometimes these things are alarming, but just try to, where possible, take a bit of a pause because people are conflating certain things with the test and trace stuff and, and stoking that confusion. It's confusing. <laughs> don't, don't, don't get me wrong. It's confusing. But I'm just meaning that one of the ways to stoke confusion is to simply you know, reactively blurt out the frustrations over the fact that, oh my God, this is going to shut me down and, 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 and the huge consequences that w that would face a, a practice owner, for example. You know, I'm, I'm very acutely in touch with that you know, I'm, I'm concerned about it, but there is a relevant difference between what we're doing and encountering in full PPE under sensible precautions. And there's reasons for that, for us being certainly a more important service in, in, in various different ways right now to some of the more superficial things that, that are going on in society in which we need to mitigate contact. You know, it's just such a, such a different world. So please do tune into Gemma's stuff. It's just a, a really brilliant hub. And, and I'd be concerned if I didn't have that to point you to, then we'd go into it in more detail. But I do uh, have all the confidence in, in that group. And one of the things that we can show you, um, let's see, yeah, we had that, which was posted alongside Gemma's post. I'm not going to read it all out, but this is the sort of example that I want to talk to you about, um, to talk to you and mention to you. Sorry, I get Gemma's comment out of the road. Um, these are the sorts of comments of which can, can be helped to break down. This is pinned as one of the announcements on that. So, you know, these are the sorts of examples of which it gives you those isolation criteria and explains some of the exclusions. It's not always going to cover every single thing, and that's what the comment section's for. But let's not let's not be pretending that uh, we can't work through this together. But be, as I said, thoughtful and cautious as to how you might stoke confusion by being you know being being confused not necessarily seeking out the nuances that might be or looking for similar stories or examples so that's enough for me uh it's been another another half an hour um oh, where's my little frame gone there we go i felt naked without that then um so yeah thanks a lot tune in tomorrow me and adam meekins are going to be chewing over 
his latest rant about marketing um, and then try and tease out whether or not there's any disagreement there between us. I don't know if there is, not necessarily from his post. I'm totally frustrated by some of the same things, so it might be just a co-rant. Or it may well be that there's some nuance to be had as to what we maybe do or don't like or what we feel is legitimate and ethical, because that's often the case, is that what is being missold and, and, and sort of uh, overblown and things like that is one of the things that I know me and him often get frustrated about together. But then similarly, there may well be areas where he feels that that sort of salesmanship that shouldn't be in the industry or shouldn't be ethical and that i might be more understanding of and, and vice versa you know i don't know so we're going to chew over that so do join us tomorrow if you want me and Meekins to talk about marketing please keep your comments coming in and we'll visit them and other shows or later on in the day thanks again as ever for everyone tuning in and uh, for all your thoughtful comments it's been brilliant um some lovely feedback Gemma saying amazing as ever too kind and Joe Turner thanking Gemma. And that is, of course, the right thank you to be making, especially when it comes to COVID support. So thanks as ever, everyone. And uh, do keep your comments coming. I definitely, the private practice NHS thing is certainly one that needs to roll over. And I'm going to get a few guests on later in the week, I think, to, to sort of uh, flesh that out a little bit, especially on collaboration, especially any of you that have had experiences um, with some positive, positive experiences of how we've collaborated over time. I'd be really interested in, in hearing more about that. But for now... Let me hide my frame. Bid you farewell as I put my fancy graphic on. I'll see you tomorrow.